verse 11 through verse 13. I'm going to have to take this off. I want to preach this morning on this thought brought near by His blood. Brought near by His blood. The scripture will be on the screen. It's on the handout. But Ephesians chapter 2 beginning at verse 11 through verse 13. Let's look in Ephesians 2 beginning at verse 11. It says, Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision, but that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes, that word sometimes here it means once, you who once were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. I want to read verse 13 again because that's going to be the main text that we focus on. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. In verses 11 and 12, Paul reminds us of our spiritual past when we were alienated from God and His covenant people. But then in verse 13 where we just read, he tells us that even though we were far away, even though we were at a distance from God, we were brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. As I said, I want to focus primarily on verse 13 and I want to talk about being brought near by His Blood. The first thing I want you to notice this morning if you're filling in your outline is this, we were distant from God. Paul tells the believers in Ephesus that one time they were far off. And what Paul says to them can also be applied to us. If we go back to verse 12, we see what Paul has in mind. I want you to read verse 12 in the Amplified Translation. It says this, Remember that you were at that time separated, living apart from Christ, excluded from all part in Him, utterly estranged and outlawed from the rights of Israel as a nation, and strangers with no share in the sacred compacts of the Messianic promise, with no knowledge of or right in God's agreements, His covenants. And you had no hope, no promise. You were in the world without God. So several things that he says here in this verse that shows that there was a dividing wall between us and God, that there was distance between us and God. Number one, he says that we were without Christ. Some translations say we were living apart from Christ or we were separated from Christ. Those words should disturb us. Those words should even trouble us. We were cut off from Jesus and excluded from all part in Him. In other words, if you were a Gentile, you had nothing to do with God whatsoever. You see, before the gospel came to Ephesus, these Gentile people had never heard the name of Jesus. They had no idea how to have their sins forgiven and be reconciled and restored to God. They worshipped the idol Artemis or 
Some translations say Diana, and they feared evil spirits, and they tried to keep her at bay through magic. They were separated from Christ. They were separated from God, and they had no way whatsoever how to know Him. And you see, there was a time in our lives where we were cut off from God. There was a time in our lives where we were alienated and estranged from Him. Those words should trouble us. But let me also say those words separated from Christ ought to burden us and give us a desire to reach people who don't know God. Those words without Christ ought to stir our hearts to reach people who have yet to hear about Jesus. Those words without Christ ought to put a sense of urgency in us to reach people who are in our families who have yet to surrender to Christ because without Jesus they're going to spend an eternity separated from Him. Listen, as we look around this world today and as we look at the times in which we're living and we see all the violence and we see all the wickedness, there ought to be a sense of urgency and there ought to be a burden in our soul for people who have yet to experience Christ because they're without Him. They're separated from Him. And if you remember what it was like to be without Him, there ought to be a burden in your heart to reach people that are far from Him. We ought to pray for people who are far from God. We ought to give to missions and support people who's willing to go around the world to reach people who are far from God. But I want you to notice, secondly, Paul tells us that we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Do you realize that Israel was the only nation that can say, blessed is the nation whose God is Lord? They were the only people that could refer to God as the God of Israel. You see, the Jews were His chosen people. Israel is the only nation that has been chosen by God. That's why it's good to stand with Israel. Amen? But that wasn't true of any Gentile nation. You see, Gentiles were excluded from the people whom God had chosen as His own. In fact, let me say this, in biblical times, in fact, they may still do it today, but a lot of Jewish people often pray daily, I thank God that I'm not a Gentile. In fact, they would often rub their Jewish roots in the face of Gentile people because they were proud of being Jews. In fact, that's what Paul talks about. The circumcision and the uncircumcision. They were proud of being the Jewish people. But Gentiles were treated like dogs because they weren't the chosen. And so Paul is saying that as Gentiles, we were excluded from the people of God. We didn't have a promise of a Messiah. We were outsiders. We were shut out from the promises of God. We were shut out from the blessings of God. We were on the outside looking in, Brother Tommy. Israel was the favored people. They were the ones being blessed. They were the ones that God had made covenants with and said, I'm going to bless you. And we were on the outside having to look in at the privileges and rights that they had. We couldn't partake of those rights and privileges that God had promised them. But he says the third thing, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. You see, God had made covenants with the nation of Israel through people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, and Solomon. These covenants promise blessings to the Jews. You remember what God told Abraham? I'll bless you and you'll be a blessing. Well, as Gentiles, we had no share or part in those promises. 
He goes on to say a fourth thing. He says, we were without hope. No hope for the Gentiles to find the one true God or to obtain anything beyond physical life in this world. You see, without God's covenant promises, there is no hope. You see, His promise to send the Messiah, His promise to send a a Savior, His promise to send a Redeemer, a Redeemer, that was the hope of Israel. That wasn't the hope of a Gentile nation. That wasn't the hope of Gentile people. That was for the Jews. And the only reason that Gentiles could have salvation was because they rejected the Messiah and the Bible says we were grafted in. Gentiles had no hope, at least no hope based on the sure promises of God. Only the Jews had hope in the living God. But number five, he says that we were without God in the world. You see, the Gentiles, they had many gods, but they didn't have the one true God. Without God, the world was all they had. And let me just say this, people who are living today without Jesus, the world is all they have. But listen, one day this world's going to come to an end. And if it comes to an end and you don't have God, you're going to be miserable for all of eternity. Amen? Because I've come to find out in this life, Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. He's the only one that can fill the longings of our heart. Listen, I've been in the world and I've tried what the world has and the world will leave you empty. The world will leave you void. But Jesus can fill you. Jesus can satisfy you. Jesus can bring peace. Jesus can bring comfort. Jesus is the answer that we need. Jesus is the answer for the world. Listen, the White House isn't going to fix it. An elephant and a donkey isn't going to fix it. Jesus Christ is the answer. To me, these are some of the saddest words in the Bible. Having no hope and without God in the world. It can't get any more pathetic than that. Without hope and without God in the world. You know, this world is a wicked, cruel, and violent place. And I'm raising three kids in it. You don't have to go back very far to find out that people don't care about life anymore. Well, they'll walk into Walmart and just start shooting people. Very violent place. A place where church is no longer considered sacred. Because people will just walk in and start shooting. That's the world in which we live. In fact, these past several shootings, I believe the one in El Paso, the guy at Walmart, as if that's, I'm not mistaken, if I'm not confusing them. I believe I read or heard somewhere that he went in and did what he did because he was hearing voices. You know, the Bible talks about in the last days, perilous times will come. The word perilous, it's difficult, it's dangerous. But it's the same Greek word used to refer to the demoniac of Gadara meaning that in these last days it's going to be energized by demons. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the guy didn't hear voices in his head telling him to do what he did.
Because we're living in a world where people have no hope. And they're without God. But that was the condition of all of us at one time. No hope. And without God in this world. That's a sad place to live your life. This world means robbery, hatred, warfare, disease, and death. You see, even if you live a comfortable life, the best you can hope for is expressed in these words I read recently. Eat healthy, exercise, and die anyway. That's the best you can hope for. Eat healthy, exercise, and die anyway. It's a terrible thing to face all of life's trials and problems without God and without hope of eternal life. Listen, I'd hate to know I was going to live my life and have to die and face God having never trusted in Jesus. That's why you've heard me say before, I'd rather live like there is a hell and find out that there's not than to live like there is in a hell and find out there is. Amen. Paul warns us to remember these things so that we never forget where we would be if God had snatched us from the pit we were in. Do you notice that in verse 11? He says, remember. He wants us to remember where we were. He wants us to remember how far we were away from God. Why? Because if we forget... We'll grow lukewarm about the things of God. We'll grow comfortable. We'll get complacent. And I'm afraid that's where a lot of Christians are today. They're comfortable. They're complacent. You see, if we forget where we were, we'll lose the joy of salvation. If we forget, we'll lose our hunger and thirst to know God in a more intimate way. If we forget how we were separated from God, we'll lose our motivation to take the gospel to lost people. Listen, if you forget that you were without hope and without God in this world, you'll lose your urgency to tell somebody about Christ. Hear me this morning before I go to my next point. Never forget your desperate situation before God saved you. Never forget how far away you are from God. Never forget that there was a dividing wall between you and Him. Never forget that at one time you were an enemy of God. That there was hostility between you and Him. Never forget that at one time you were cut off from Him and alienated from Him. Never forget that at one time there was a great chasm between you and God and there was nothing inside of you whatsoever that could bridge that gap. Pray we all remember where we were when God found us. It does us some good sometimes just to go back to where God found us and remember. Amen. Which leads me to my second point. We were brought near by the blood of Christ 
I know this ain't no great outline today. I'm just saying what the text says. That's all I know to do, Brother Dennis. Just say what the text says. The two little words, but now, at the beginning of verse 13, reveals God's intervention from heaven to earth and the entire story of redemption. And let me just kind of interject this. I thank God for that little word, but. We saw it in verse 4 of chapter 2, but God. We were dead in sins. We were disobedient. We were marching to the drumbeat of Satan, depraved and doomed on our way to hell, but God, who is rich in mercy. Well, with His great love, He loved us. I like that little word, but. It means a transition took place. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. What he says here is that there's no longer any separation between Jew and Gentile in relation to God. Look at verse 14 through 16. For He, referring to Jesus, is our peace, who has made both one. He's referring to Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile has now become one. He's referring to the church. And has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His, what's this say? In His flesh, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in Himself of twain, that means two, one new man so making peace, and that He might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that Jew and Gentile were separated, but through the blood of Jesus, through the cross of Christ, He made Jew and Gentile one, made one church, made one body, and He reconciled both of them to God through the cross and through the blood of Jesus. That means now there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, but we're all one in Christ. Reconciliation has taken place. Peace has been found. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. And how did it happen? Through the blood of Jesus. We were once separated and far from Him, but through the blood of Jesus we've been brought near. Now I want to say, that the blood of Jesus is a topic that a lot of people don't want to talk about these days. A lot of people won't go avoid it. You've got some churches, some denominations that remove the blood from their music. Some churches that want to remove the blood from their preaching. But you hear me well. The necessity of the blood for salvation remains. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no salvation. Without the blood of Jesus, there is no cleansing. Without the blood of Jesus, we're still in our sins. We need the blood. I know some people think the blood is gory and the blood is outdated and we don't need to talk about the blood. But listen, without the blood, there is no redemption. Without the blood, there is no salvation. Without the blood, there is no hope. Without the blood, we're wasting our time today. 
I thank God for the blood. You see, redemption can only come through the death of Jesus and His blood that was shed on Calvary. He had to pay the price that you and I could not pay. And He paid it with His blood. Listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. That word remission means forgiveness. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. A verse that we've already studied, Ephesians 1, 7. In whom or in Him we have redemption. How? Through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You see, before anybody could enjoy the privilege of nearness to God, before anybody could come close to God, there had to be cleansing from sin, and the only way to be cleansed from sin is through the blood of Jesus. I think about the song, What could wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What could make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It takes the blood. In fact, when God brought Israel out of Egypt, it was the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils that caused the death angel to pass over them. Listen, if you want to pass from death to life, it takes the blood on your life to pass from death to life. Hallelujah. Woo! Takes the blood. I don't know, some of you act like you're sleeping. I get excited talking about the blood. If you study the Bible, you'll find out that throughout the Bible, blood has always been God's way of dealing with sin. In fact, that's why He told them, don't eat flesh with the blood in it, because the life of the animal is in the blood. How many remember that in the Old Testament? Don't eat the flesh with the blood in it because the life of the animal is in the blood. Now don't get me wrong. I, I, I like a, a medium rare steak. I, I, I like a little bit of blood flowing from it. But when you look at the Word of God, blood has always been God's way of dealing with sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they sinned, God sacrificed an animal and put skin on them to clothe them. He was demonstrating that the death of the animal and the shedding of blood was the price he had to pay. It was the cost of covering or atoning for their sin. Blood was shed. Later in the book of Leviticus, the Lord told the Israelites that the life of the flesh is in the blood and they were supposed to offer the blood on the altar to make atonement for their sins. Look at Leviticus 17 verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. Look at this. For it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. Without the blood, there was no forgiveness. Without the blood, there was no atonement. But let me say this. The thousands of sacrifices offered throughout Jewish history pointed to one final sacrifice. 
You see, year after year, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and offer repeatedly sacrifice after sacrifice and blood had to be shed repeatedly over and over again. Why? Because it can never take away sin. It simply covered sin. It simply atoned sin. You see, all the bloods of bulls and lambs that were slain only pointed to the Lamb of God. It only pointed to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus shed His blood one time to forever pay the penalty of sin. Listen to Hebrews 10, verse 11 through 14. It says, Every priest standeth daily ministering, notice this, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never, notice it, take away sins. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. Notice he's no longer standing. He sat down where? On the right hand of God. From henceforth, from now on, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. In the Old Testament, the priest had to stand and repeatedly make sacrifices. But Jesus made one sacrifice. Forever taking care of sin. He died once and it never has to be repeated, Brother Tommy. Now let me just say this. This isn't in my note, but let me just say this. That's why people who sometimes struggle will talk about being saved and losing your salvation and being saved over and over again. Listen. Jesus isn't coming back to die again. He died once. You want to know why they kept offering sacrifices over and over again? Because they kept sinning. And they had to keep offering a sacrifice. Listen, when you're saved, you're saved. And if you sin, you confess. But Jesus isn't dying again to pay for your sin. That makes sense. You're not getting saved all over again because he's not dying again. He paid for it once. He paid for it once. He took care of it. Past, present, future. In fact, when he died on the cross, all our sins were in the future. That makes sense. Thank God for blood. His blood is powerful. His blood is sufficient for all sin. He died forever. The blood of Jesus never loses the power. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to bring anyone near to God if they will believe in what Christ has done for them. And I want to emphasize, we, you've got to understand, it's the blood of Jesus that brings us near to God. Isn't that what the text says? We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now there's some people who want to suggest different ways to come near to God. Some think you can come by keeping the law or belonging to a certain group. Well, I'm part of Israel. I belong to the church. I can come near to God. No. The only way you can be brought near to God is through the blood of Jesus. We've got to give up the idea that we can come to God on our own terms. In fact, the, the verb brought near is passive, so it's God that does the bringing near, not us. God brings us near, and it's through the blood of Jesus. 
We could never bridge the gap between ourselves and God on our own. No amount of effort, no amount of work on our part could close the chasm that separated us from God. That's why 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Who's the mediator? Jesus. Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood paved the way for us to get close to God. Let me say it this way. The cross brought God and man together. Think about a cross. Looks like a tea. It was though when Jesus hung on the cross, He grabbed the hand of God and grabbed the hand of man. And he brought them together. what He did. When He hung there and He shed His precious blood, He took God and He took man. And He said, I'm going to bring them together. Because there was no way we could reach up to Him. So God came down to us in the second person of the Godhead. He became flesh. He... And it cost him his blood. And I pray we never forget what it cost him for us to be close to God. I'm a close. I, you want the full fill in the blanks for the, the, the conclusion I'll give them to you. You just come to me after service. My time's running out. I feel the presence of God. I know some people, they want a bloodless religion. I don't. Because without the blood, I have no hope. Without the blood, I'm still far from God, Brother Tommy. You see, everything about God's people... And everything about his church is blood permeated, blood soaked, and blood bought. It's all about the blood. And the only reason that the church exists is because the Son of God shed his blood. The only reason we can gather today is because Jesus said. I'll go and I'll give my life. Because He came and shed His blood. But here's the thing. God didn't just decide one day to come up with that plan because Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That before Adam and Eve were ever created in the garden. God knew that sin was going to be a problem. 
And God already had a solution. It was the blood of Jesus. I thank God today for the blood. It's changed my life. It has cleansed me. And so I ask you this morning, are you trusting in the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? If not, what are you planning to rely on when you stand before God in judgment? Because the only way that you'll make it to heaven is if blood's been applied to your life. Because as I said earlier, the only way to go from death to life is if the blood has been applied. I know that sounds like a contradiction. Jesus dying so I can live. That's how it works. He died so I can live. Stand with me.